0: Hello and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're doing these twice a month for now. You can catch these podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, and it's also available through the Danfoss Tools app. For the video version, check us out on the Danfoss North America YouTube page. Search for Controller Talk to see our video collection. I'm Dave Yoder, along with Chris Brown. Chris, it's been a while. You ran through that intro like you never skipped a beat. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like riding a bike.
0: Like riding a bike. (laughs) Yeah, it's been about five months since we've been in the studio, but uh, we've both been traveling and doing some things, and uh, now we're ready to get back into it. A lot of internal changes that have been good that nobody
1: listening probably cares about, but yeah, we've been busy the last few months, no doubt about it.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yep. Yeah, so uh, in this season, which I'm calling season two, Season our, CO2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're witty. Uh, yeah, season two, we're going to take a, a turn and, and talk about CO2 a fair amount and um, see what we can get into. But um, first, we're going to talk about why uh, we're talking about CO2 at all. Yep. And um, for a few years now, there's been a lot of buzz about CO2 as a refrigerant in supermarkets and, and now in some condensing units. And I think it's worth exploring why and how CO2 has evolved um, from a bad thing in the atmosphere to a good thing in refrigeration. So, today we're going to look at the pros and cons of using CO2 as a refrigerant and what makes it unique. I listed out a few pros to get us started here. And uh, the first one is cost. Um, so I looked at an article, uh, from this year by Henderson engineers, and it listed the price of CO2 as about two to $4 a pound versus, uh, 20 to a hundred dollars a pound for a lot of your HFCs. Right. Yeah. And then once you install it, this is something I've been saying for a while, it should be the last refrigerant you need to put in. That's um, the idea. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been around long enough to see refrigerants get changed out every maybe 15 years or so. Um, but it should be the last one you have to put in uh, Another thing about it is it's got for its, its small value it or small volume It has a high capacity for uh, for cooling. So it's possible to use some smaller piping and smaller compressors and then the, um, the cooling capacity most people agree is about five to eight times higher than your traditional refrigerants so that usually means less compressors. Yep. And, and the, um, the example I like to give is um, while we were on hiatus, I went to a store and uh, it was a CO2 store, you know, pretty average size, probably 40, 45,000 square feet and went to the compressor room. And I thought I, there must be another one. There must, I'm only in one room and there's gotta be a second room somewhere because there was only seven compressors, mm-hmm. three on low temp, four on medium temp. And I thought, I'm used to seeing 16 compressors in this room, but it was, it was doing all the refrigeration in the store with seven compressors, which was kind of impressive. And I think that's an important part here
1: is this isn't just a theoretical thing. All the design conversations we're in with customers and, and designers, it's, it's real world. I mean, the, the piping is smaller and, and the capacity of the racks is smaller. So it's, uh, it's a real world thing with, with those couple items there and I yep. think heat reclaim's another one too that you could probably say as a pro that, that the heat reclaim with the CO2 systems a lot better than heat reclaim on an HFC and something we see everybody from the OEM to the end user um, side of things taking advantage of when they're either saying what they want or actually designing it into into their system. But heat okay. reclaim's definitely a big part here too. Yeah. And then we also have some other things. Uh, there's the whole refrigerant aspect of it with um, ozone depletion potential and, and global warming potential. So we know the, the EPA with something like the AIM Act is, is moving to try to reduce high GWP refrigerants over the next two years And in, in steps. They've already started to push some of those steps and more will come in the next few years. So I think it's January of 24. We're supposed to see another significant reduction in um High GWP refrigerants being used, and then there's more towards the end of the decade. Uh, the, the general idea between that and then and, and the move with this AMAC to try to get some um, new generation technologies in play is that they want to get under 150 GWP, I believe, is a number in supermarkets. Yep. So you're really going to see more and more movement towards trying to get refrigerants into systems, especially new designs that fit under that 150 GWP number, which CO two is definitely one of those refrigerants. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, future current legislation, this fits right in with that. And then we've also seen it's been a nice transition over where CO two started, where it was just racks in supermarkets, where we saw really the design happening. Now we're expanding out into other things that we see internally and externally, condensing units, commercial refrigeration. We're really seeing CO two become a a universal refrigerant that can be used in all different places.
0: Yep. And this year, Danfoss released that uh, mechanical expansion valve right. uh, for CO2. Correct. Yep. Now, on the other side of the coin, you could say that these are uh, the, the cons of the pros and cons, um, but it's debatable. So um, skill sets are taking some time uh, to catch up in the industry. Yeah. I think there, people are getting there. And there's more exposure to it now uh, for the mechanics. Yep, I agree. Yep. And then in the system in general, there's a couple extra valves that have to be controlled. Um, you'll have extra tools that you'll have to buy. And um, and then the, the level of complexity in the system itself could be climate-driven. It depends whether or not you're in the north or the south and whether or not you're using ejectors and that sort of thing. Yep. And then... Um, it's just getting part of it's just getting used to the higher pressure ranges. Yeah, I think that's the general theme with a lot
1: of what you just mentioned. Is just guys getting used to to mm-hmm. what this system is. When we talk about Iraq, at least, and there's going to be variants. I mean, the north versus south argument. There's designs that are going to be. Used more in the South, and guys down there will probably get used to those. Versus people on the on the northern side of the country, where some of those designs that are meant to take advantage of warmer climates aren't going to be there, and so they're going to have different types of systems or, or different bells and whistles in their systems that maybe they're more uh, more used to and, and up to speed on. So, yeah, yeah I think complexities, uh, and just variance in the designs is something that that we'll see throughout the life cycle of of CO2 systems for sure. Yeah. Uh, we into some other things, leak detection. So uh, CO2, it, it, the toxicity isn't there as much as it being an oxygen displacer. So, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we see more usage of leak detection and walk-ins to make sure that, that we don't, especially in those smaller enclosed spaces, that we're not having any issues uh, where personnel might be in there when a leak occurs. Um, storing on site, so we know with the higher pressures, part of that on the design side, We also have a lot of relief valves in these systems that we might not have on an HFC system. So when we we see these relief valves and they're going to blow if if something unexpected happens. Now we've got to make sure we have the refrigerant available to charge the system back to where it's supposed to be. And so refrigerant availability, how much do we keep on site? Do we keep it in an area so it's available for multiple sites? I think it's we're saying these are cons and and again it's just it's something that we have to account for and and the customer has to plan for yeah um when they're they're using one of these systems and i think is we have more systems co2 systems in in a general area where maybe you can keep storage and and share it between multiple sites instead of one per maybe you've got six stores that are all co2 in an area and you can just have one charge for for all six right i think that'll make life a little easier too right And that's, uh, I think you can extend that out, not just to the refrigerant, but spare parts in general. We've got some unique parts that we'll get into later shows here in the season on the control side. um, Do you just keep a a whole portfolio of spare parts at every store or do you look at maybe keeping them in, again, an area where they're available and you can maybe grab them from one store and move it to another instead of spending all that money to, to keep spare parts laying around that may never need to be used? Right. And I'd say the last thing that comes to mind is pack controllers. It's Yeah, it's a CO2 system, but pack controllers are a technology that could be used in other systems as well. For us, where we've always had everything kind of reside in the system manager, it's definitely a a new leaf to turn over for contractors and and engineers using these systems to understand where the pack controller comes into play and and how to use it and how to make changes.
0: Yep. Yep. So... I guess um, if I thought about a conclusion uh, when it comes to CO2 and whether or not it should be used or could be used or is now the time to get in, um, I think the early adopters have already got in and they've already um, kind of got themselves up to speed on that, which uh, helps everybody else. But you could be a second wave adopter and get in now uh, before you know other expenses go up. And uh, there's an there's a industry momentum going on that you could take advantage of and start pulling that knowledge from people.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're being the guinea pig at this point. And it's right. enough knowledge out yeah. there. We'll have somewhere here in the near future, hopefully, a, a training unit. Uh, we've had a global one that we've used and offered, but we'll have a, a local one that um, we'll have available. Uh, so we, we training, that uh, all these tools are there for guys to get up to speed so that this isn't, uh, and training not just us, but also the OEMs we know is there. Uh, so that, that, somebody getting ready to do a startup, if it's their first store, they can really be prepared walking into this and it's not learning on the job.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. You can kind of ease your way into it if you really choose to. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, Chris, I think, um, you've probably enjoyed a break from some of these crazy questions I've thrown at you <laughs> in the past. I was sleeping good at night for a while <laughs> there. Yeah. Well, we're going to see what we can do about your correction percentage <laughs> on answers. <laughs> So uh, in this portion of Stump Chris, um, I'll throw a question at you and see if you can come up with an answer. So we know that the GWP for CO2 is a value of one, Mm -hmm. right? So what's the GWP for 404A?
1: Let's guess 400.
0: How about 2100? Not even close. (laughs) But at (laughs) least you... Gave me an answer higher than one. Yes. So that's good. But yeah, 404A is 2100. So that means a pound of 404A released into the atmosphere is essentially 2100 times more harmful than CO2. Well, so that's kind of how we got to this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, the cooling capacity is
1: on the other side because the CO2 cooling capacity, one pound of that's exponentially higher than 404A. So you're. Yeah doing less damage to the environment and you're getting more cooling out of one pound of refrigerant.
0: Right. Right. I'm sure in future episodes, we'll talk about things like what do you do with a store that's established with 404A and um, can you incorporate CO2 into that? Can you retrofit refrigerants? Yep. Uh, The answer is it's possible, but not as easy as it used to be. Yeah. Uh, But we'll get into that in in the future here. So now how about listener mail? So you remember Butchie right? but you from Baltimore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got a question about um, CO2 and controls and stuff like that. And he wants to know how many spare parts should he have on hand because you've got controls. We talked about the refrigerant. Yeah. You know, so if something goes wrong, because it's a, a little bit more complex system, you may have a critical part. And if that part stops failing or you suddenly have water in your cabinet, you know, what's What's the right answer on keeping spare parts?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, not too distant future here. We'll get into pack controllers, which is really the brains of the operation on the rack itself. And so, when I say the the pieces that are controlling the parts of the system that you absolutely need—the compressors, the gas cooler, the some of the valves that are on the rack—you you, kind of need those controls. It's tough to get by; just you can't just force things on like you might be able to in an HFC system. Right. Um, so, you really want to have a set of the controls, uh, that are handling the rack available at one site. And again, hopefully over time, that's four or five CO2 sites in an area. And you can just keep them at that one site and use them as needed. You don't have to keep one at every site, but I'd say just in general, yeah, you want to at least have a backup set of that pack controller and, and the boards that are attached to it, that are driving your valves and compressors to keep the system
0: going. Yeah.
1: They don't fail often. It's not something right. where I'd be expecting this to be once a year. You're using the backup parts, but right. yeah, you want to have it on hand in case that emergency does hit. Right.
0: Yep. Okay. All right. So if you'd like to drop us an email with a suggestion for topics to cover or a question or comment, you can always email us at controller talk north america at danfoss.com. That's controller talk north america at danfoss.com. Thanks for listening. Our. Main guy, Michael, don't call me Mike Beckerman, is on vacation. He's not even here. Our audio engineer is still Raul Garcia, and Maria's back from, I believe, the south of France. And the new guy, yep, he's still here, Josh Tignall. All right, they're making it happen. we got to stop calling the new guy at some point, I guess. Huh? Well, we need another <laughs> new guy. Yeah, that's right. Until next time, for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool.